There is nothing worth living for unless it is worth dying for. My grandmother lived a life devoted to Jesus, and today her talks have been made available in their original form. So you too can be built up through the insights and mysteries God revealed to her throughout her ministry. Now, without further ado, here is Elizabeth Elliot. How my heart goes out to so many young people who in today's world are faced not only with many options, but also enticing temptations such as alcohol, drugs, wild parties, and the freedom of sex outside of marriage. And I want to read a very interesting paragraph. In the afternoon, in the aftermath of September the 11th, 2001, working diligently amidst the smoldering, deadly, entombing debris of the fallen buildings of stone and steel are the hopeful rescuers. Those who are buried under that debris need only to call out to the rescuers and they will be saved. So those entombed in the smoldering, deadly debris of sin must call out for help in prayers of repentance to God. Those who call his name will be rescued from certain death. Where is God? He's there. He's able and willing to save. Reach out and grasp the strong and steady hand of God in salvation and hope, and he will lift you up. Amazingly, you will find that in a gracious spirit of patience, hope, mercy, and love, he has been waiting there for you all along. He will save you from destruction, relieve the pain of your despair, walk with you out of the rubble of your life, and wrap you in the infinite arms of his comfort and care from that moment on. That, my friend and fellow sufferer, is where God is. His spirit is always love. His ways are just. His plans are perfect. And he purposes, his purposes are eternal. You can trust him. You are the gracious supporters of Teen Challenge. And you surely have a warm heart for the troubled youth in your own area. The Apostle Paul wrote, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I always try to remind young people that God loves them. God knows their trials and tribulations and messes, and there is a Savior. A boy or girl or man or woman can start over knowing that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Well, it's a tall order, but remember that Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Through some of my writings, I've tried to help young people to follow God's will for their lives. My book, Passion and Purity, tells the story of powerful struggles that Jim Elliot had with his love life in pursuing me. It was a call 
for sexual purity. And Jim said to me, I'm not going to touch you. Well, many have written to thank me for writing that book, and some have bewailed not having heard of it sooner before they had gotten themselves into very deep trouble. But I am thankful to be able to point them to the Lord himself. All is not lost. He is in the business of repair and renewal. And I'm sure, as I'm sure you're aware, what a pleasure it would be to tell inner city kids about the glory of purity. I'd love to hear some of your testimonies regarding changed lives, which you may have heard in your own work with Teen Challenge. My own experience of danger is very different from what these young people face. Some of you may be old enough to know, old enough to recall an incident in 1956 when five American missionaries had gone into the eastern jungle of Ecuador hoping to make contact with a very elusive jungle tribe, then called Aucas. For years, Nate Saint, missionary pilot, had flown over the area where he knew the Alka Indians lived, he began to seek a way to land his little Piper airplane on a sand strip near a river. He chose four missionary men to set up a camp, hoping that the Alkas would show up. We wives discussed the rather remote possibility of our husbands being speared to death. What would we do? God gave us peace of heart and confidence that whatever might happen, his word would hold. The Bible says when he puts forth his sheep, he goes before them. Each of us knew when we married that there would never be any question as to who came first. God and his work held first place in each life. The men had accepted the three conditions of discipleship. You must give up your right to yourself and take up the cross and follow. That's what Jesus said. When God's time had come for an entrance into Alka territory, five men set up a camp on a river at some distance from the clearing where the Alkas lived, not wishing to barge in immediately to the tribal area. Several days went by, nothing happened. But one day there was a shout from across the river. Two women and one man, all of them naked, suddenly appeared. They seemed perfectly friendly and at ease and were delighted to receive a few gifts that the missionaries offered them. They spent the afternoon and later disappeared back into the jungle. Two days later, a group of Alcas armed with wooden spears killed all five missionaries. Now try to imagine the incredulity and then the sorrow when we learned that all five of our husbands had been speared to death. I returned to the jungle station where Jim and I had lived and I began to pray earnestly that somehow, someday, the Lord might enable me to make contact with those Alka Indians. Perhaps a woman a woman's appearance might not threaten them. In a most unexpected way, I was in the right place at the right time when two Quechua men, the Quechuas were very peaceable people, 
two Quechua men visited me to announce that they had two Alka women at their house. Did I want to see them? My answer was an instant yes. We traveled six hours over a jungle trail, at the end of which I found myself face to face with two Alka women, easily identified from the Quechuas because they wore no clothes. Of course, they spoke a totally different language that none of the Quechuas knew, nor, of course, did I. What did they want from us? No one knew. What should I do with them, was my question. I asked the Lord, and his answer was, take them home with you. So off we went in the missionary plane, my two-year-old daughter, my two Alka women, and I. They lived happily with us and our Quechua friends for nearly a year. And one day, Mankamo, one of the two Alka women, pointed to a palm tree and said, when that palm tree is ripe, we're going home, and we want you to come with us. Thus began the most fascinating experiences of my life. Valerie, my daughter, and I lived with the Alka tribe for two years. I wore clothes. They didn't. But nobody minded. There was no such thing as sexual promiscuity. A teenage boy did not look a teenage girl up and down. Each family lived in a palm-thatched house made of six poles, no walls, no floors, and no furniture. There were, of course, dangers in the jungle, deep rivers to be crossed, wicked thorns to pierce bare feet, stinging caterpillars, poisonous snakes, jaguars. One night when I awoke from my hammock, I saw what I thought was a pool of water. As I cautiously stepped over this pool of water, it turned out to be a coiled snake lying beside my daughter's blanket. Dangerous to be sure, but not what young people face in New, ha New Haven. It was a beautiful place to live. The children played and swam in the river almost all day long. And of course, Valerie learned the language much faster than I did. I had had to learn two other languages before I had to learn the third one. Valerie became very attached to her three-year-old friend, Damanta. He trotted along behind her wherever she chose to go, and there wasn't much to do in the way of house cleaning. Everybody kept a fire going all the time. Each day began very early in the morning. We could hear the men beginning to sing as they lay in their hammocks all around the clearing. The song was usually about the creation of the world, and it went like this. Well, I'll leave you there, but of course, I've counted as many as 75 repetitions from those few words. Before we had learned their language, they had explained to us that there is a God. So you see, these very primitive people knew that there was a God. And they were singing about him who made the whole world. As we became more fluent in the language, we were able to speak to them, not only about God himself, but also about his son, Jesus, who loves all of us and died to save us from sin. They listened eagerly. 
and asked us to tell them more. When they finished their songs and had drunk the banana drink, which was their breakfast, off they would go into the forest with blowguns, hoping to get meat for the women and children. They hunted all day, sometimes returning with very little, sometimes with a howler monkey, the largest monkey in that area, or occasionally a wild pig or even a taper, the largest wild animal in South America. When the women finished eating and had fed their children, they went to their planting, often leaving the two- or three-year-olds to stay home and tend the fires, which they were accustomed to do. Nursing babies were carried all day long by the mothers as they worked. Remember, they had no clothes, nothing resembling a diaper. Older babies were often left to the mercy of the three- and four-year-olds. The food the women cultivated was primarily a starchy tuber, like an elongated potato, but rather heavy, stringy pulp. You would not particularly enjoy the processing of this drink, nor would you want to taste it. Here is the process. They would take piles of this manioc, which was the, the staple food, and they would smash it as much as they could. They would put it into a pot and boil it, and then they would pour it out onto a wooden tray, and they would spit most of it. They would take a large mouthful, roll it around in their mouth, and then spit it back. So we'd have a huge mountain like this, of this, sti this very sticky stuff. But there were very few edible wild foods, so hunting and planting were essential all day, every day. Never have I lived with such happy, kind, sensible, and wonderfully generous people. My main job, of course, was to learn their language, a much more difficult one than the two other jungle languages that I had had to learn. My three-year-old was talking circles around me long before I had any fluency. Children can learn much more quickly than adults, which puts us in an awkward position. But I always had my Bible, and one of my most comforting words was from Isaiah 50, verse 7. The Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. It may interest some of you to know that Steve Saint, son of Nate, the pilot who was killed, is now himself a jungle pilot and works with the Aukas. He has been taking Tamanta, who was my daughter Valerie's little friend, who was then three years old, is now 45 years old, and has been traveling all over US and Europe. Now I would like to tell you a little bit about the remarkable work of one lady from Ireland named Amy Carmichael. She had gone to India as an itinerant missionary, hoping to reach the women of the, of the villages who were generally cloistered and therefore very hard to reach. As she traveled by bullock cart with several dedicated young women, she discovered the abominable practice of placing little children in the temples as a gift to the gods to be sexually used by the men. At first, 
she could not believe that this was true, but learned that it indeed was, and she began earnestly to pray that God would in some way enable her to rescue these children. The Lord enabled her to establish a beautiful place in a small town in South India called Donavur. When I was 14 years old, I went to boarding school in Florida. The headmistress loaned me a book of poems by Amy Carmichael. I was immediately hooked. Here is one of my favorites, one of Amy's, uh, one of her poems. From prayer that asks that I may be sheltered from winds that beat on thee, from fearing when I should aspire, from faltering when I should climb higher, from silken self, O captain, free thy soldier who would follow thee, from subtle love of softening things, from easy choices, weakenings, not thus our spirits fortified, not this way went the crucified, from all that dims thy calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. She died more than 50 years ago, but her work continues. It would be quite impossible for me to describe the tremendous influence that dear lady has been in my life. My husband Lars and I had the great privilege of going to visit the Donavur Fellowship in South India. I was given the use of Amy's bedroom where she spent the last 20 years of her life as an invalid. I studied the pictures and mottos on her walls, sat at her own writing table, surrounded by her books, she had written at least 40 books, which I have in my study today. And I recently received from the w women who have carried on her work a lovely book commemorating the 100th year. When I think of young people who have gone into the wilderness in our towns and cities, my heart goes out to them in what surely must become helplessness, misery, and hatred. And I want to read from a little book that was just given to me this, this week. When the Messiah came, it was to the bruised reeds and dimly burning wicks of this world. It was to the sick, not to the healthy. It was to the morally crippled, the mentally tormented, the physically afflicted, the relationally neglected. Doesn't that describe some of the children that you people know? It was to those who had been devastated by some life-shattering loss. It was to a demon-possessed man who had lost his mind, to a woman at a well who had lost her reputation, to a leper who had lost his health, to a mother who had lost her son, 
to a bewildered teenager, you may help to offer the love of the Lord Jesus. You are here to raise funds for Teen Challenge, and I thank the Lord for your help for children rescued from broken homes, from abuse, from access to drugs, alcohol, and sex. May the Lord reward you for your open hearts and deep concern for these bewildered children whom God loves. May the Lord remember his precious children, and may he give you and me the strength to follow for them and to give to them the words of life. God bless you. I pray you've been encouraged and inspired by what you've heard today and will keep joining us here and on social media for my granny's inspiration. Until then, remember, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms.